Welcome to this broadcast of Truth For Today. Today we'll be doing part five in our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, let me suggest to you that there is a really excellent book written by Dr. John Stott uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, which has, in my opinion, is probably the best exegesis of the sermon that I've ever come across. And if you have access to that book, I strongly recommend that you read it. Before we start today's study, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Lord, we uh, thank you for revealing yourself to us in the person of your Son and in the records of the scripture that you inspired and then preserved and then allowed to be translated into our own languages uh, so that we have access to that truth. Uh, Help us to appreciate the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is to bring us into all the truth and to remind us of what you have taught us and have soft hearts so that the Holy Spirit can talk to us and show us what attitudes and behaviors we should change in response to the truth. Amen. So we will be beginning in... Chapter 5, verse 31. Um, and before we get into the details of today's lesson, let me just, for, the first, for those of you who are with us for the first time, the Sermon on the Mount um, was actually aimed at the disciples. If you read the record, there were lots of crowds, and Jesus went up on the mountain, and his disciples came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Uh, there might have been a few who, of the crowd who came up and overheard, but this, these lessons in the Sermon on the Mount were aimed at the disciples, and Jesus was not painting a picture of some unattainable uh, utopia. Jesus was telling his disciples, this is the way I expect you to live. And if we say that we are his disciples, then these instructions are for us as well. Okay, starting with verse 31. Jesus is talking. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus brings this up because the Pharisees and the religious elite and teachers of the day sought to expand the permission to divorce. Jesus sought to limit the permission to what was originally intended. And this can be found in Deuteronomy 24, Verse 1, and the important concept there is grave indecency. Jesus refers to unchastity. That is what the grave indecency in Deuteronomy 24 is talking about. Pharisees and the people who taught the law and the religious teachers of the day, uh, basically at that time they would divorce their wife for anything. 
if she didn't cook a good meal, she could be divorced just by issuing her a certificate of divorce. And in the way civil law worked in Israel, she had to go home to her father's house. She could not live on her own. And then they had to start looking for another husband. And that's why Jesus says, you are forcing your wife to commit adultery. Now, there's more details that Jesus taught on that are not here in the sermon, and I'm going to deviate from our standard practice, and I'm actually going to include those teachings, which are in chapter 19 of the Gospel of Matthew, starting at the third verse. So some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Notice that this is very similar to this, what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it, was, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The Pharisees here are preoccupied with the grounds for divorce. Their question is, or their understanding and their desire for the expanding of the permission is, well, Moses gave us permission to divorce our wives. <laughs> Jesus, however, is focused on the institution of marriage. He quotes Genesis. And the thing that he emphasizes is marriage is exclusive. It's between a man and a woman. And it's permanent. Now, the Pharisees sought to make divorce a command. Jesus explained that the divorce was a concession to the hardness of heart of people. In Genesis 24, verses 1 through 4, again, Old Testament law on divorce, the only command here is against remarriage. Jesus took divorce Fair the Pharisees took divorce lightly, kind of like the culture that we live in today. Um, divorce is hard because of the legal aspects of it in our country here in the United States, not having anything to do with what God intends. And you can get divorced in most places in the United States for no reason at all, just because you want a divorce. But Jesus took it very seriously. 
He says remarriage can only be allowed in the case of infidelity. So in modern day culture, if you're a Christian and you end up in a divorce, if you're going to obey God, you will not remarry until your spouse who has been divorced from you has died. Or if the cause of the divorce was for infidelity. So these kind of no-fault divorces or uh, incompatibility, uh, those, those result for Christians in needing to remain single for the rest till one of, till one of the spouses has died in order to do what God says is right. So regardless of what the government says, one remains married in the eyes of God except in cases of infidelity. Yet Jesus still considers this as a reluctant concession. What God really wants is reconciliation. So, as a, as a disciple of Jesus who earlier Jesus said in the same chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew, one who is meek, one who is a peacemaker, one who is poor in spirit, and one who is merciful, how shall that one cast out a spouse? Continuing on with his next comparison, starting with verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes or no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Now, this is not a direct quotation of the law concerning vows, but it is an accurate summary of the principles. The Pharisees were caught up in the formula. If you made a vow to the temple uh, or the altar, you didn't necessarily have to keep that vow, but if you made a vow to the gold that was covering the altar, then you had to fulfill the vow. That was an example of their concern for the formula. Jesus' teaching here is that the formula is irrelevant. He's saying, keep your promises. Be people of your word. 
Have you ever wondered why we have written contracts and contract law and contract lawyers? It's because people did not keep their word. Oaths are an indication of human unfaithfulness. People take an oath to bring credibility to what they're saying because it's not credible on its own. Honest men do not need to take an oath. Granted, people have to know you and have experienced your living with them and know that you are honest and a person of your word. But once that's true, no oath is ever required. You're known to be a person of your word, and that's enough. That's what Jesus is saying is what God wants. Now, because of our society the way it is, in some places you may be required to take an oath. When I was in the Navy for 30 years, the United States Navy, when I commissioned as an officer in the Navy, I was required to take an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And it was okay to take that oath because it was required of me. I was not violating anything in what God said is the way we should live. And I fulfilled my oath. I would have fulfilled it without the oath. Just by saying yes. So do not be uncomfortable if you're required to take an oath. Court systems frequently require oaths to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Don't be, don't be afraid to take the oath, even though God says taking an oath is unnecessary and just yes and no is sufficient. Anything added to that is evil. If somebody requires you to take an oath, do not be bothered by it. Now, not just oaths, but any form of exaggeration falls under this category. If you know that uh, that you caught a fish that weighed 20 pounds and in the story you make it seem a little bit bigger by exaggerating, you're violating the principle of God's honest speaking. Bottom line, Christians should say what they mean and mean what they say. Um, that's the end of our study for today, which I could have added some additional material. Uh, I thought it would take longer. Um, but I, I wanted to share with you um, that uh, from our record keeping, it appears that folks who are listening to this broadcast have been contributing 
to being able for us to be able to continue making this broadcast. And I want to thank those who have made contributions. It's very much appreciated. And I want to let everyone else know that you also have the opportunity to contribute. It's not particularly difficult since you're listening over the Internet and have a computer device of some kind. Uh, you can go to our website, the church's website, which is SCWCC, which stands for Sun City West Christian Church, .org, and there is a tab at the top of the screen on the main page for donate, and then it will give you different ways that you can do that. Uh, and uh, for those of you who have who feel the value of this radio ministry over the internet, uh, and you feel that it's worthwhile to support it so that we can continue it. Uh, we welcome your participation, and we are thankful for those who have chosen to do so. And if you live near Phoenix, Arizona, or if you're visiting Phoenix, Arizona on a Sunday, uh, this is usually a one-hour uh, get-together. The first 30 minutes are devoted to the lesson, and then the second half is devoted to discussion and questions and answers. Um, so, um, if you would like to participate in the live version of this Bible study, uh, uh, we meet at 9.30 in the morning at Sun City, on a Sunday at Sun City West Christian Church in Sun City West, Arizona, and you are welcome to join us. God bless you all.